As our fiscal year comes to an end, I have in the past, and we'll do the same today, deliver what we'll just call a state of the church address. We're on a threshold here of a new budget year and, and new ministry potential. And a state of the church address is basically nothing more than an annual review where we ask ourselves some questions. We review what ministry has been accomplished and, and what we trust will be in the future. It's also a a good time to just rehearse the mission of the church. Uh, reflect on who we follow and what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, we've included several hundred people in just the last 24 months. In fact, the last time I delivered a State of the Church address was two years ago. And I wonder in this hour, how many of you have begun coming to Colonial in the last two years? Would you raise your hand? Would you stand? I see hands. Go ahead and stand so we can kind of get a, a feel for how many all over... And we would all say to you, welcome here. Welcome here. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, it's important to rehearse uh, truths, similar uh, truths to what we've read and sung already today because we're constantly welcoming new people into the flock. But because of us old timers, we're no different from the Israelites of old who constantly needed reminding, right? God even gave them visual reminders like a pile of rocks, 12 rocks set up on the bank of the Jordan. And he said, I want that to be a reminder. Why would it be so significant? Because they took them from the middle of the dry riverbed as God parted the water and they crossed the Jordan into the promised land. So they could go back. And if I had been on that company and probably you as well, at times you'd go back to that riverbank and you'd look at those 12 rocks and you'd say, it really did happen. God really did that. You could take your children there and you could point to it and you could say, this is what God did and this is why he did it. Joshua chapter 4, of course, gives us the entire story. Paul wrote to the Roman believers in need of remembering these interesting words. I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. Romans fifteen fifteen. To the Corinthians, he wrote... For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. 1 Corinthians 4. He wrote directly to Timothy, and he said, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. 1 Timothy 1.6. Even the apostle Peter gets on the bandwagon here and he says this, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them. 2 Peter 1.11. So in this brief review, it's a wonderful time as Peter wrote to rehearse what we know already, what we need to be reminded of as we look at what God has done and what God will do Uh, in the future as we trust him. So let me invite you to begin with me by just turning to the testimony of a church that was uh, putting into effect these truths. First Thessalonians is a wonderful chapter, first chapter where we're given the testimony of a church that was committed. It was charged. It was enthused. It was excited about serving out their devout faith for Christ. And I'll just read this beginning in verse 2. Paul writes to them, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, 
For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. I mean, you want the testimony of an effective church? You want to you read about a church that was pursuing the right things? This is nothing less than the description of a God-pleasing, holy-living, idol-discarding, gospel-delivering, passionately-serving, spirit-empowering, Christ-anticipating church. And they weren't so much driven by these qualities as they were simply following Jesus Christ. And by following him, this is what happened as they began to live out their faith. There isn't anything in here, by the way, about worship style. There isn't anything in here about economic class. There isn't anything in this text about being relevant to pagans. There isn't anything in here about how to be inoffensive to idolaters. They just did the gospel. They lived it. They obeyed it. They obeyed the word, they studied it, they loved the Lord and each other. That's why Paul would say of them later in chapter 2, you are determined not to please men but to please God. In Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C. is the tomb called the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. As you know, it's been perpetually guarded by our military for many, many years. When the new guard takes his post, I have ready, here's the command, delivered to him by the one that is been serving and is now relieved. And the words delivered to that new man as he assumes his post are these words. Orders remain unchanged. Orders remain unchanged. What a great challenge to the church from the first century to the 21st century. Jesus Christ commanded those men that would inaugurate this this church age with the descent of the Holy Spirit he, he delivered to them the commission. We call it the Great Commission. Go and in the process of going, make disciples, baptize them and teach them to do all that I've commanded you to do. And, and, and lo, behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. Some have called it now the Great Omission because the church isn't doing it. So few are engaged. But in Matthew 28, the Lord commanded what is basically very simple. It doesn't take some erudite scholar. It doesn't take some... some uh, you know, it doesn't take a series of books or seminars. It's simply this. Go, and in the process of going, make disciples by delivering to them the gospel. Baptize them and teach them so they grow up in Jesus Christ. We deliver the gospel to people who need to hear it and believe. As Paul said, how shall they believe in one they've never heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, without a messenger, delivering the truth? Our orders are that simple, and they remain unchanged. So whenever we take stock, as we're doing today as a local assembly, we have to ask certain questions. Are people being reached for Christ? How are they being reached for Christ? How are they being built up and taught as believers? Are we offering opportunities for people to grow in their faith? 
in a variety of venues and ways. How are people organized and supported, subsidized, resourced to reach out to one another in the assembly and to the world? And how are we maximizing these facilities, all this brick and glass, these resources? Are we maximizing them for the purpose of evangelism and edification? So I asked all of my staff to just send me an email and a little report. They knew I'd be saying far less than they sent me. And this past week they sent me reams of stuff and I've sort of whittled through it. We'll start with children's ministries. To mention children's ministries, obviously you need to begin with a big thank you. Because it takes about 250 uh, volunteers on Sunday morning and another 250 to 300 volunteers in addition to them throughout the rest of the week. About 525 some volunteers who take care of our children ages 12 and down. How many of you were part of that crew? today already. All over. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, we have the numbers that show up here for the little ones, the number that'll flash up on the screen. People have asked me 1,123. What that means. I say, that's how many babies are in the nursery today. (laughs) You know, let's, let's pray for them. Sometimes I'll say that's how many sermons in revelation we have left before we finish something else, smart aleck or whatever. But I mean, we have so many people serving in this ministry. They launched further out uh, this year with the establishment of a, a ministry to special needs kids. We're so thrilled with what's happening here. They started with two children now up to close to 20 dedicated people. Now this, uh, they did an article in the NNO on this particular ministry here and, and that kind of hit the, 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 the online uh, news services and now they're getting calls from pastors from Colorado to California to Vermont with help us, we want to start one too. Uh, they have adapted to special needs kids by forming, creating a special needs Awana club, which will roll out here. We're very thrilled for what they're doing in this particular ministry where many of these families are in need, desperate need. In fact, they're going to be having a uh, conference. The student ministries are, in fact, reaching uh, special needs kids. Let me talk about student ministries a little bit. Student ministries has been picking up a lot of steam. Pastor Aaron Student Ministries pastor, he's been on in, in, in the saddle here less than a year, continuing to develop our teenagers. We want teens to walk with Christ. Certainly we want to compliment what moms and, and dads are doing. We want to develop followers of Christ. We, we don't want to just babysit them while they get through high school and hope they don't do anything dangerous. That isn't the intention of the ministry. We want them serving in peer on peer life-on-life ministry. And I'm excited about Aaron and his team, their leadership, all of our youth leaders with them. They've eagerly accepted this challenge of adapting now special needs for a ministry for kids that are kind of graduating out of children's ministries into theirs. And they uh, have uh, partnered with another church and, and we're hosting about 500 families in a weekend where they've uh, set up a, a weekend sort of a conference uh, where they're going to offer a lot of uh, different activities for kids. And many of these families are unchurched and uh, they certainly, many of them don't come here, and we're hoping that God will really use this redemptively. This annual festival of activities is called Cruising the Blue Marble. Now, you know, they, these guys are really creative. And I looked at that, and I thought, what in the world does that mean, Cruising the Blue Marble? And uh, then I asked, and they told me the theme is a cruise ship, and they're going to have different ports of call, and the blue marble is what? 
earth. You're so much smarter than, than I am. I, I didn't know that. But that's exactly what it means. I saw their poster advertising this event. Thought you might like to see it. There's, there's Pastor Aaron. I don't know where he got that outfit, but he really looks good. He's obviously the best-looking pastor on staff and at the little love boat look there going. Um, I don't know. But uh, he's a gifted preacher teacher of God's word. They're averaging now about 450 teenagers and youth leaders in on Sunday morning, and we praise God for that. Many of them involved in outreach ministry, weekly Bible study, and youth events, and missions trips. Adult ministries focused this past year specifically on casting the net for men who wanted to develop as godly men in their home, business, relationships. Pastor Don Sandberg organized a Saturday retreat, and we uh, just lined up several pastors. We decided to just preach on different topics. We had hoped that 50, I was thinking 50 men would come over. 300 came that Saturday. And out of that came training for deacons and elders and men in general who just want to develop a higher standard of distinctive Christian living. And I know they have plans to do this uh, more of this. I praise God for what's happening around here, not just with hundreds of women who've been involved in Bible study, but now so many men involved in the word. Uh, Don also launched two new ABFs this past year. And let me just stop here for a moment. All of these ministries want me to do commercials, by the way. This is the day they're, they're trying to pay me bribes, chocolate, donuts, or whatever. I've refused everything up to this point. Uh, so far, I'm not sure. We're not done yet. But uh, started two new ABFs. Let me just say that if you're not involved in an adult Bible fellowship, get involved. This place, you're going to sit by somebody new just about every Sunday. You don't know half the people that come here. That is a smaller group where you can be cared for, you can get engaged in, and you can uh, learn the word. And I said get engaged in. You know, that kind of leads me, and that was a slip of the tongue. But he did tell me one particular ministry that's taken off is premarital counseling. We got people getting engaged. And um, he said in college ministry and young careers, there are 11 couples who have met in their classes who have been married or are going to be married. He's locked in some weekends for weddings because we want to make room. We, 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 we like the, the idea of weddings taking place on this campus. Can you imagine 11 just in the last month's uh, meeting here and getting married? Any, anybody in this hour, you met here on this campus, got married, or you are going to be getting married and you met here. Over here, somebody pointed this way. Back here, you guys met here? I see, I see three hands. That's a, that's a problem. That's a problem. Um, hopefully somebody's just real short. Okay, uh, I see. All right, stand up, you guys. All right, stand up. All right, where, where did you guys meet on my left? Where, where, where did, exactly, not by the water, no, you. Uh, where, where did you meet? In the singles ministry. When did you meet? Six years ago. When... We have premarital counseling available for you guys. So when did you start dating? Talk it over. <laughs> you married in May of 03. That's outstanding. Okay, over here. You guys, have you been engaged long? You're married. All right, so it's settled. What, where did you meet? Young careers. And you met in the class there. Okay. Did I see any other hands over here? You guys? Stand up. You met? Yeah. 
July of 2007. How long did you date? Six months. Six, seven, eight, nine months. When's your anniversary, young man? Okay. <laughs> I, know, I know your wife, Denise, work on him, okay? You know, it hadn't been that long. Oh, my. Well, that's great. We're excited about all this stuff happening and, and um, people meet here on our campus and fall in love and get married. That's great. Care Ministries is starting a, a new effort, a marriage conference. In fact, they, Pastor Walter Ross and Stephen Pritchett spent a lot of time marriage counseling and helping men and women walk with Christ, visiting, encouraging the saints. They have teams of volunteers that are amazing in their care ministry. Walter wrote me an email this past week with his material, and he used this phrase, which I thought kind of cut to the core of our redemptive purpose with every department, and he mentioned it in his, he said this, and I quote, the most exciting thing in Care Ministries this year has been the way the Lord has transformed adversity into open doors for ministry. Isn't that great? Uh, This has been a challenging year financially for many families in our church, uh, certainly with our economic situation. Tough times ahead, perhaps, uh, from donations given to our benevolence fund, which we traditionally do after communion. This past year, we gave away $52,000 to people in our church family who uh, had unique, special needs. Our our ministry to connect uh, men and women who've lost their jobs has, of course, grown exponentially. Uh, Job seekers on Mondays used to meet in a little room up here over in the uh, family center, and now they're in the chapel, 250 Our meeting on Mondays, they begin with devotions and prayer and again a redemptive purpose in connecting them with the Word of God and the God of the Word and and then they break up into their different specialties and network together and it's so exciting. We have pastors now calling from all over asking how to start one because we know the times ahead are going to need this kind of ministry in the lives of people. One of the things that's been rather strategic that's involved a lot of uh, my time in my particular department is a strategic effort to serve the, the growing body believers. We recently organized our church family into 72 geographical areas, each area served by one of our 72 deacons. Uh, we call them flocks for life, outreach, community, and kindred spirits. So there you have a little flock in the logo, and you got the deacon with the staff, his head's... You know, the way they did that, it says, you know, he's either goofing off or hanging himself. I'm not sure which. He looks rather terrified, but uh, isn't that the cutest logo you've ever seen in your life? I love it. That's a ministry we're really thrilled with uh, starting this year. Many of you have received phone calls. In fact, I will say this. I did have a deacon come up to me after the last hour and say, would you please put in a plug? That if you've gotten a message from a deacon, they are leaving messages on answering machines all around the county. If you've gotten a message, call them back. If you've got an email, respond. That'll help because they're trying to reach 40 families. That's a lot of people. That's a church, isn't it? The idea is to connect these families that live in the same neighborhood or the same neighboring area together. And a couple of times a year, in fact, just coming up for five Sundays after the third service, are going to be a potluck. Potlucks for 15 different flocks per Sunday in order to get them all in. We decided... Uh, instead of trying to get everybody here at one time, we'd just break it into 15 flocks at a time. And, and they're trying to call you to let you know the date of your first flock uh, potluck and to introduce themselves. 
And that'll be an exciting time, I believe, for you to just meet people in your neighborhood. We've seen some interesting things happen where people found out a family down the street actually came to the same church they did. Come to the first hour or the third hour and never met in the parking lot. And some neat relationships are going to be developing out of this. We have flocks now organized all around. I'm excited to know that people are going to be connected uh, with others who drive from their area. And I'll give you some of the cities. Uh, we have flocks now, many flocks in Cary, of course, Raleigh, Garner, Apex, Morrisville. We have flocks in Nightdale, Zebulon, Anger, Pittsburgh, Holly Springs, Fuquay, Verena, even Chapel Hill. We allow so many of them in, just a few. <laughs> Anybody here from Chapel Hill that's leaving? You are, we love you, and, and, and you are okay. You have a flock now. That's right. They're all Democrats, but you've got a flock. <laughs> I really need to move on here because I'm going to get into trouble. We have, um, we have people driving here. We have, we, have, we have flocks now representing Sanford, Lillington, Carborough, Durham, Willow Springs, Pinehurst. I was told this past week we have two families that we've just uh, surfaced that drive. That's an hour drive one way. Uh, from Pinehurst. How many of you golfers want to be in that flock? Huh? <laughs> Sorry, put your hands down. That's not why we did it. If you want to know more, by the way, go to colonial.org. Colonial.org. There's the logo. You see it up here on the screen. And you click on that and there's a fact sheet that will, that will give you a lot of answers. Why, why are people making the drive? I, I think if you boil it down to any church, and we've got a number of churches in our community that are healthy, we're certainly not the only one. But I think you boil it down to a love for the written word and a love for the living word. I think it's that simple. People who love the word and want to worship the word together. In a church culture where worship ministries are involved in what we call worship wars, churches are abandoning the rich heritage of, of uh, hymnody along with the choir and uh, the orchestra, which are wonderful ways to celebrate as we sing great anthems and songs, spiritual songs and hymns to the Lord. One of the challenges that we have as a church, uh, you hear about the Arts Academy and, and nearly 200 kids involved in it. One of the challenges is you can go to high school, you can graduate from high school now and not have to have band or chorus as a required course. You remember you had to take that back in our day? You had to either play the tuba or, or sing or whatever. Not anymore. So if the church wants to raise a generation of people who are able to play an instrument and be able to read music and to sing, we're not training them. And so we're committed to that. And so throughout the week, we're teaching lessons in so many different instruments, and you can hear them as you walk up and down the hallway. And it's our commitment to raising up worshipers who are able to lead the congregation musically, instrumentally, and, uh, and vocally. Now more than 200 adults in our choir, our orchestra, a different variety of offerings. I was copied on an email recently. A woman was writing to a friend, encouraging her to visit Colonial, and the pastor eventually sent it to me. And it was a wonderful tribute to you uh, because of your desire to do this. But uh, she just happened to mention in this email to her friend, she said, I want you to know that it, it's different there. The services are dedicated to the glory of a holy God. Isn't that great? That's what it's all about. Worship Ministries under Pastor Loftus now has over 200 children and graded choirs. We have many parents, I'm sure, here represented. Hearts, hands, and voices have sung in our worship services are wonderful to listen to and they're fun to watch, aren't they? Well, they've put together a musical that's just around the corner. I don't know the date. It's a, it's a children's musical called We Like Sheep. 
And uh, you're going to love it. When our kids were growing up, we used to play that uh, to them. And yes, thank you for that commercial back there. You're right with me. All right. In order for Colonial to be a God-pleasing church, we must be reaching our world with the gospel. It isn't just about us. It isn't just that we like it here. It isn't just that we like the chair, the climate, the group, our friends. It's close, or maybe it's not so close. It, it has to be about a commitment to reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ through a variety of methods and opportunities. We, we continue to train people in evangelism, having people saved nearly every week by teams that go out to share the gospel. One of the most effective outreach ministries of our church continues to be sports ministries. This is exciting because people will play sports who don't go to church. In fact, 50% of the people involved in our sports ministries do not go to this church. 50%. That's a commitment of our staff, our campus, our dollars to reach people who are yet unchurched. Many of them don't go anywhere. And there are right now 2,000 children and adults registered to play some kind of sport whether it's basketball, volleyball, t-ball, or whatever else. 200 adults are serving, volunteering as coaches. Those practices begin with a devotion and a prayer. Kids are, are, are given Bible verses to memorize. Can you imagine what that means? Now you have an unbelieving parent helping their child memorize a Bible verse. That's another way of defining sowing the seed. And every year they have people come to faith in Christ. In fact, last year, this past year, over 100 young people made a profession of faith and 10 parents as well. In fact, just, just uh, this past week, a gentleman walked in to sign up for one of our sports uh, events, one of our, one of our leagues, connected to a, to a staff member, shared the gospel with him, and after an hour, he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. See, you, you boil it down to why are we here? Why do we exist? To glorify God and, and join the Father who seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then once they come to faith in Christ, offer every imaginable opportunity to grow in the Lord. And we use fun things to do that as well as serious things to do that. I've just learned in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I learned about it so I could tell you about it. Of, of a brand new sports outreach called Outdoorsmen. Outdoorsmen. This is a ministry outreach primarily for hunters. These are the guys that wear camouflage to Walmart. And I want to be on their side. Amen? You got a guy back here? Good. You carrying a gun? I'm on your side. I just want you to know that. 45 men attended... Their first meeting. Now, their meetings, from what I was told, do not offer bagels and quiche. Okay? At their first meeting, they actually ate duck meat and deer chili. How's that sound? I don't know. I'm going to try it one of these days. I talked to Ed Strickland, who launched this ministry outreach, and, and I told him, you know, Ed, of all of the different things we do, all of the different ministries, you've got the verse. And you've got the text. You don't have to torture it, twist it. You know, uh, you, you've got it. And I told him you ought to use Acts 10, 13 as your theme verse. That's the text, of course, where God is giving Peter the vision that drops down with those animals that are no longer unclean. And he tells Peter, arise, kill, and eat. <laughs> That's it. 
Ed said, you think people are going to be offended, you know, by, by this outreach ministry? What about PETA? And I said, you know, Ed, how deeply sensitive I am to not offend PETA. I said, don't worry about it. I'm sure there are people at Colonial that, that only eat vegetables. It's their fault. That's the way I feel about it. They're going to die, go to heaven, discover they could have eaten a lot more wonderful things. and They may live longer, but they would have died happier. All right. Get a good logo, I told them. And he, they're working on it. Our communications team puts all these logos, everything you see around here, they do. And uh, this team of volunteers and some staff, uh, far less staff than volunteers, artists, writers, photographers, videographers, uh, this past year, in an effort to cut costs, they took this Connections magazine online, which allowed us to save quite a bit of money. We wondered what the response would be, and, and you've responded amazingly. Within two weeks of this latest issue, over about 2,000 people had gone online to visit it, read it, and about 1,500 downloaded it and then printed it off for themselves. Communications does all of our printed materials, logos, brochures, website, stand-up sheep out in, the, out in the lobby, banners, everything. And it's all done in-house, and they do an absolutely fantastic job. And we tip our hat to them today, too. Let me quickly mention... A couple more outreach opportunities that are growing. Shepherd Seminary. Many of you who've been around a while know we birthed it here on this campus and we have now developed it and we have a faculty that's growing and with the leadership of Dr. Pettigrew, it's becoming even more established. It continues to experience exciting growth. This this past year, our part-time and full-time student body, and it's changing now into that kind of um, element has grown 20%. This summer we have a number of uh, young men, uh, many of them married, are moving here to begin this fall. And so you're going to be sitting around them. They're going to be serving. Our church is going to be blessed uh, by its commitment to allowing uh, this graduate school to prepare men for uh, uh, pastoral ministry. We have women taking studies as well for uh, counseling and Christian education uh, courses. Our library was open this past year. We have a church library in the, in the Children's Center, the seminary library over in this center with over uh, 40,000 items now online as well as journals and books and just exploding. We're trusting God as well this year to reach full accreditation in 2009, which would be absolutely remarkable. In fact, I've never heard of a school within four years of application reaching full accreditation. And we have every reason to believe we're going to reach it. We've already been given candidate status, which is the last step before full accreditation. Many of you old-timers, along with me, remember the earlier vision we had of creating a missions cooperative, a consortium of churches called Faith Association, F-A-I-T-H, the Fellowship of Ambassadors Impacting the Harvest. And uh, over the past 10 years, we were involved and have been involved in planting four churches Three of them did not reach self-supporting status, eventually merged back with uh, churches in the area. Those pastors are now involved in other things, other ministries. Our fourth church partnership, Redeemer, is now self-supporting. Josh told me this past week that they just had to order more chairs. They've outgrown their 150 chairs that they have, and we're thrilled they're now paying him full-time. Something interesting began to develop because we put faith in the closet. We, we packaged it up and, and uh, put it in mothballs and thought, well, that was our idea, not God's. 
But it's been interesting to see what's just happened this past year where established churches have begun to contact us asking for encouragement, uh, resources, advice. And we began to talk about opening faith back up and opening it up to existing churches that agree with us doctrinally and uh, philosophically. And in the last six months, without any effort, all we did was begin to talk to people calling us. Faith Association has been unpacked from mothballs, and we've now established partnerships with seven churches in our region, with two more churches uh, that I wanted to add to the list, but I didn't because we don't have documents back from them agreeing to our doctrinal statement and our partnership. These pastors are going to serve with me on the Pastors Advisory Council for Shepherd Seminary. Their staff and parishioners can come to classes at the same discounted rate as Colonial. Our seminary students will be doing internships in these churches that will get first dibs on them. So far, the pastors who've joined with me as members now of faith, this is all, the the ink is barely dry, this is so exciting, represent Community Baptist in Reedsville, Cornerstone Baptist in Wilmington, Graceway Bible Church in Anger, of course, Redeemer Community in Fuquay, Verena, Southbridge Fellowship in North Raleigh, Twin City Baptist Church in Winston-Salem, and Wentworth Bible Church in South Raleigh. All these pastors have joined in the last six months or so independently of one another. Evidently, the Lord is pleased to create indeed this faith association, a consortium where we hope one day we can take people from our churches that need to raise support for missions. They can go to these churches that are part of this loose association and get on the field much quicker. And God has touched this and is now alive and and well. Another outreach ministry I'll mention Beyond the scope of our campus and immediate ministries is Wisdom for the Heart. Many of you are aware of this radio and resource ministry based on our messages, and we're humbled by what God continues to do. This isn't funded by Colonial's budget nor Shepherd's, but people in Colonial uh, are freely giving to these ministries. And this year, we will begin broadcasting, finally, a separate Spanish version of the program in capitals and major cities in countries like Argentina, Bolivia, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, Ecuador, Guatemala, Honduras, Panama, Paraguay, Peru, Venezuela, and more. 89 radio stations are going to begin carrying this program. It's translated by another man who takes my messages. My name is mentioned, Colonial is mentioned, Shepherds is mentioned, and everything else. Uh, I don't understand. It's a 30-minute program that is now... Uh, hitting the airwaves in June with a potential audience of about 80 million people. And we're praying that God will give us a great harvest of fruit. This is the passion, ladies and gentlemen, of, I think, a biblical church. To so live the gospel of Christ. To so desire to advance it by every possible means. By every possible avenue. This is what we want to do. This is why God didn't save us and then take us to heaven. He left us here as ambassadors to beg the world to be reconciled to God. I shared at our recent Valentine banquet, Wisdom Banquet, how William Carey, who would become the father of modern missions, he didn't know he had that title then, of course. He preached a signature message to about six pastors in their churches. He had been passionate about missions for some time. He was a shoemaker. And he had taken leather stitched it together so that it was large enough to fill one wall of his little shop. And he etched in the continents. He etched in even islands. And he put up the names of people groups. And then he marked those who had the gospel. 
and those who didn't. And he began praying for the world. He had this idea that maybe the church ought to be sending missionaries. What a novel idea. But the churches in England were stagnant. So he gathered about five or six pastors around him who adopted this vision. And their churches gathered together and they began to pray. And in 1792, on May 31st, they held a conference. And William Carey preached. And he preached a message challenging them to send a missionary to India. He didn't know he would be that missionary. But he challenged them with this concept. He had already been shouted down in earlier meetings by other churches that were well established for his crazy ideas. William Carey would become that missionary. Well, in this sermon delivered in May of 92, 1792, Carey's theme was this phrase which started a fire. In fact, it's repeated all the way down to our generation. It's one of my favorite phrases where he said to them, let us expect great things from God. Let us attempt great things for God. And that's it, isn't it? What a balance. Trust God? Yes, It has to be God. God must do it. God must empower it. Or we'll put it in a closet in mothballs until God decides. It's just more work if it's us. It's just more energy. We're just going to get a little more tired, a little more strung out, a few more things to do if it's just us. But if it's God who touches it, if it's God who empowers it, then we must attempt it. Right? It isn't just saying, okay, we're going to expect something from God. It's the church that says, we will expect great things from God, but we will attempt great things for God. We co labor with Him. May this be our testimony as we launch into a new year of ministry. Let me encourage you, my friend, make this year a year of new attempts. Let me suggest three very basic ones. First of all, Why don't you start by moving from attending here to joining here. Now, this is not a quick sales job for membership. You still have to attend 12 weeks of Greenhouse, and there's nothing about Greenhouse that's quick. Okay? Sign on. Make this house your house. Make this place your place. Make these people your people, your family. Sign on. Change your vocabulary from I like this church to this is my church. It'll change a lot of things about your perspective. Move, perhaps, from attending to joining. Secondly, make the move from observation to participation. Don't just, don't just sign on. Sign up. We have over 110 ministries requiring some 2,100 volunteers. And I can tell you, those 525 volunteers who today taught children and held babies, and they'll hear children recite verses uh, tonight. Those who, who made coffee and set up tables and chairs. Those who grabbed a baton and waved them at cars that ignored them. Those dear people would love some fresh recruits. Right? So, so don't just you know, sign on, sign up. Make the move from observing to participating. Third, make the move from giving to supporting. You know, we don't pull on people to give, give, give. We don't do it, and you don't see me get up here even before the offering. We typically use other pastors 
Because I don't want to create the, the idea in anybody's mind that we're just about money. But I do believe there's a great distinctive in the perspective between giving and, and supporting. There's a world of difference in the thought, yeah, here comes the offering plate, I, I guess I, I'm going to give something. And here comes the offering plate, I, I want to support what's happening. See, the first attitude is likely to give a tip. The second attitude thinks through an investment. How can I support what God is doing with my family? Well, this is the spirit and testimony of the Thessalonians. This is the vision of William Carey and the movement his life began. These are the ones who gave their lives to the true and living God, serving one another, reaching their city with a gospel, and their testimonies is rippled outward. So right now, 2,000 years later, we're reading about the testimony of the Thessalonians. We're reading about this man named Carey. We don't want the ripples to stop here. God is evidently not finished. Let's keep it the task. May we be like them. And do nothing less than expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Amen? Friend, if you're here, we realize these services are for the purpose of edification. They're a challenge to the believer. That's why we have not adapted them to make unbelievers necessarily comfortable. We teach the truth, but perhaps you're here and you don't know Christ. We're aware that many come who don't know him, and we're thrilled with that. We want the contagion of our faith to be the sowing of seed in your heart and life. And maybe today you want to give your life to Christ. We'd love to include you first in the family of God and perhaps later in this particular expression of his family, the local church. Father, thank you for a time of review. Thank you for these ministries. And you know all that's been left out. You know all the things that have not been said. You know all of the hundreds of volunteers who were never mentioned. All of the ministries that never made it on the screen, that were not in my notes. You know everyone, Father. We serve you. We seek the applause of your hands and heart. So I thank you for every man and woman, young person, that moves the ministry forward by co-laboring with you and your empowering of their lives makes a difference, even in showing up to help or shake a hand or give a hug. I pray, Father, that our church would mirror the word as it expressed the testimony of the Thessalonians who were so dedicated to you that everybody knew they had turned away from their old lifestyle with its idolatries to serve and follow you. Would you be pleased as we launch new budget, new ministries, as we assimilate new staff members who, who will be added to our team, uh, as our leaders serve, as our deacons uh, coordinate flocks, as elders administrate, as Sunday school teachers teach, and volunteers volunteer. It's our offering of praise to you because of your grace, which has been lavished upon us. Thank you that we have the privilege of serving you together in this family. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.